Zach, there's something not a lot of people know about you. Uh, do tell. You were a skateboarder at point in your life. <laughs> I was a skater boy. He said, see you later, boy. Yeah, I don't know if you could call me that. Yeah, you owned a penny board. I owned a penny board. Not sponsored. No. But uh, if they'd like to. I mean, I'll, I'll take anybody. <laughs> yeah, any, if anyone wants to pay us to do this. <laughs> penny board. Yeah, I just wasn't great. And but, but you tried your best. I did, and I got better. And guys, this is a story from college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you love the college. We know y'all love them. They're, uh, and, and the best thing is that with every good skateboard comes a good wipeout. So right. <laughs> but just the origin story yeah. is I came to college. I had a penny board. You also had a mane of hair. I mean, it was... It was you were a skater boy. I was a skater. I mean, I wore Vans. Vans. Hats. I wore Vans. Hats. Vans. Vans hats. That is commitment yeah. to the brand. It was just it was cool. It was like black like flowers on it. Checkers. Not your vibe. No. But it was no. cool for me at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were cool. it today. You were cool. But I was cool. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I was I was riding my penny board. Yep. And I was like, guys, you have to get one of these. They're right. Just, they're so awesome. <laughs> and, and slowly, I mean, like, how many people in our friend group got one, two, three, me, you, Linder, Keaton, and then Jordan, Jordan Haven, Brooke. Wow. So that's seven, Say, seven, seven out of ten people in our friend group. <laughs> you're, an, you're an influencer. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm an influencer. But I think part of it for us was we started watching Casey Neistat videos. Yes. If you know Casey well, Neistat. But like you, but I'm an influencer though. Well, yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, like number one, you. Right. Number two, like Casey Neistat. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But he would like ride up through the airport. He just yes. it was cool and moved into boosted boards, which we didn't have enough money for. Of course, but we thought they were so cool. No, they were. They are cool. And they are still cool. <laughs> but we all got them because of you. Yeah. Well, but and then Casey Neistat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. But. And so basically what I'm saying is I'm responsible for all your road rash. Yes. And the scars I still own. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, there's literally, I don't think, I know there's a dent in my elbow <laughs> from one time when I was skateboarding on the black, like, you know, it's like the tar asphalt thing. Yeah. Oh, it dries. It's just like, oh, it's actually a slip and slide. And it's also, we just got back from summer and it's a thousand degrees. Mm, yeah. yeah. And so it just, cooks. so it sizzles but as was, you slide across was, it. Uh, yeah. I was skateboarding. And I had my Chick-fil-A. Mm. And I was going like to turn. Yeah. And my I remember just, this. That was a horrible whistle. Let me try again. They just. <laughs> sometimes it takes two tries. Folks. Sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, and and I mean, I just caught myself on my elbow so hard. Mm. I, I had my Chick-fil-A lemonade mm. cup in my hand. I'm Poured like, it all over you. And it just. <laughs> I remember you came back into the room just smelling like lemonade. Yeah. My, I was wearing a flannel. So I don't know if it was summer. Yeah. But I was wearing a flannel and my flannel had a hole ripped in it. And it was just kind of made it cool though. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. Kind of made it cool. cool. You're cool. I was cool. But You're cool. It felt horrible. Yeah. But here's the deal. You had a lot of experience on these penny boards. I didn't fall as often as others. None of us did. Yeah. None of us. None of you guys had really any experience. None. Right. At all. I had never ridden a skateboard. I know. I'd ridden scooters, I, I bikes. Yeah, thank you. You're I welcome. needed that. I really needed that. So we just weren't as good. And so you were like, dude, let's go down this hill. And obviously we're like, yeah, 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 let's get it. We're freshmen. We get about halfway down, we get the speed wobbles, and we just jump off and have to run the rest yeah, of the way. You're just, <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, am I literally breaking the sound barrier right now? Oh, but some people weren't as lucky. And there's a specific man <laughs> who left his right butt cheek. <laughs> <laughs> on University Hill. <laughs> on UBU, the University Hill. Yes. Yeah. Skinned that puppy nearly <laughs> defaced it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was not his best day. No, no, no. And his name is Keith Mayfield. I love him to death. And he's now a law student. 
at yeah. the University of Oklahoma. I heard he, when he sits in class, he leans left. Because <laughs> his, his right cheek has less surface area. Yeah, it. it just hurts. It just hurts still. <laughs> so we're starting to go fund me. Yes, yeah. But Get some plastic surgery. I was, I was tell following. Me, tell me the story. Yeah, so it's Freshman Hill at DBU, yeah, which is a large hill. Patriot, you know. Large hill with a speed bump. Mm-hmm. So typically, if you know, if you get past the speed bump, you're good. Yeah. Because it, it was a long speed bump. Right. Like it wasn't just a quick one that would just destroy yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of the white. It was, it was respectful. Yeah, it was very respectful. It reminds you it's there. Right. Yeah. So we get past the speed bump and we're still going and it still kind of winds past the pond and heads out to the front main entrance or exit of right. campus. Right. And so, I mean, like, and all slightly downhill. So the yeah, yeah, yeah. Fast downhill. And you pick up speed. And then you're going very fast. And then the rest is just slightly declined. Right. So you're still picking up speed the whole way. Yeah. So this is actually the second time we had done it that day. The first time we made it all the way down and just didn't stop. And and kept going out through the main entrance onto like the main road. Like a lot of cars. Not not skateboards. And semi trucks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we see, we hear sirens behind us and our university police are following us. (laughs) And I was like, I'm an actual skater boy yeah. now. <laughs> I have done it all. I, I have com- I am complete. And so we Wait, go back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll Cheek get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I've heard that's what they've renamed the road yeah, now. Cheek Street. Cheek Street. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Keaton had gone on ahead of me. Yeah. And so just treaching on. You there's a there's a speed that I was comfortable going. Of course. And I was going that speed. And you were respectable. <laughs> yeah. And Keaton on his little banana board. <laughs> it was yellow. He had those like different <laughs> It was cheap. It was cheap or something. I don't know. And he's just flying, just going way too fast. And I think his plan was to go under the road again. No, had no regard for police. No, no, no. Yeah. Uh, they were cool about it. But so he's just going. And I don't, to this day, I don't know if it was the speed wobbles, if he was going too fast, or if he caught that. if he caught a crack, or if he caught a pebble, mm. or something scared him, yeah. or if he was texting. I don't know. He wasn't texting. <laughs> but all I know is I'm watching him, and I'm noticing his speed. You're just, wow. I'm like, this man's <laughs> I wish I could pull my phone out and video this, because yeah. this is going to end but good. You were gripping with your toenails. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so he's going and I look up at just the right moment to see something happen that stops his board. His board just plants like he hit mud and he somehow supermans forward. He was fully, he was was parallel with the ground and in self-defense somehow rolls a little to the right. And that is how he pulls a Ricky and just skids. And like the skid you see in a cartoon where it's like skid, skid, bounce, bounce, Right. And then I, no I pull up. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's hot asphalt out there <laughs> and, exactly right. and he is skidding and I finally catch up to him and after about 30 minutes after a while, after a while. And he hasn't gotten up yet right. and he's not crying. He's dying, laughing with tears in his yeah. eyes in just gripping pain. And you know, you know, when you're you like when a friend is hurt, you're like, I'm so sorry you're hurt. When a best friend is hurt. And you're, it is hilarious. you're dying laughing. <laughs> I, I, it was uncontrollable. Right. And so of course I have, to, I, I don't know if we called you to come pick us up or if right. we just, I, I think we trekked it, walk. but the funnier part was that it ripped his shorts. <laughs> and so he was exposed. It was exposed. It was so funny, but I mean, there's so many other war stories. If you are a faithful listener to this podcast and you're in our little friend group in college, I mean, comment, 
your or send us shoot yeah. us a text just reminding of these incidents. There's so many. There's they were terrible. And we would go into chapel just looking beat up. We would, but we're better for it. We are. We're stronger for it. And here's the moral of the story, guys. There's gonna come a day <laughs> when you buy those little replacement bearings for your metaphorical skateboard, <laughs> and you're gonna be going very fast on this this life track. Yeah. And sometimes the speed wobbles are going to hit you and you might leave your cheek in the street, but that's okay. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Coop McCullough. Skater boy himself. With not as many war scars as the rest of us. Yeah. Well, you look I great. Do. They're just from an earlier age. <laughs> so feel your beautifully life. olive skin is just not... As torn up. It's not as torn. I, I spent some hours on the ripstick back in the Ah, before I, I can never master a ripstick. Dude, I was a fiend. Your, your hips do not lie. I mean, Shakira, Shakira. <laughs> speaking of Shakira, this week, speaking of, Shakira. speaking of hips not lie, I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. We don't know about this person. We have a great episode today, Cooper. I love that. It's with Miss Bianca Jackson. Okay. Bianca Jackson is the CEO of New Friends New Life, which is an organization here in Dallas, Texas, that deals with sex trafficking right under our nose. Wow. People realize or don't realize that it's happening in your backyard. Sex trafficking, human trafficking, people being sold for these acts. Right. Uh, people who are greedy, who are, who are just pride. I don't know. It's it's terrible. But I think a lot of people think that it, this is happening. The International Justice right. Mission so is taking care of that in India. Like it's country, it's way away. But it's happening in your backyard. And, and this, I mean, this interview really gives you examples of that, gives you stories of success and redemption, but it also gives you ways to, to get involved, to help out. Not even just, we're, you're not going in and busting down doors, but you're being there. You're sending notes to, to provide encouragement for these women who are going through these traumatic experiences. Yeah. It was a fascinating conversation. I don't know what you have to add, Yeah, Coop. yeah absolutely. And I was just going to say, we know this is definitely a very serious right. conversation and just to explain our heart, man, we are, we're passionate about this. And the reason we start with such a funny and, and goofy intro is right. not to try and make light of the situation, but in hopes that you would kind of be able to laugh off whatever it is that's happened throughout your day and hopefully have a fresh start as you listen with mm. fresh ears to this interview. So we just don't want you to be confused as to think we think this is a joke. We, we truly take this very seriously, but we think that humor can be a tool to hopefully mm open you up to hear what um, they have to say. It's the best way to start your Monday morning, That's Coop. Right. You're right. heading, whether you're heading to work, whether you're heading home from work, or you're heading to school. If you're heading home from work on Monday morning, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you for spending your Monday morning with us. Yeah. Well, without further ado, Coop, Let's on see. this Monday morning, here she is, Miss Bianca Jackson. Well, Bianca, thank you so much for spending some time with me and letting me just ask you some questions about a prevalent issue that people need to be more educated on. Uh, but first, I want you to start by introducing yourself. Kind of who are you? How do you get to where you are today? Sure. It is so great to be with you today. My name is Bianca Jackson. I am currently the CEO of New Friends, New Life. We are an anti-trafficking agency here in Dallas. Uh, my journey here has been... Um, a wild one. Um, I started out in 
um, healthcare, healthcare communications. And so my undergraduate is in public relations. I have a master's in organizational communication and from DBU, go Patriots. (laughs) Yeah. So that's a great connection. Uh, but I started out in healthcare. Um, I was a patient advocate and then moved into internal communications, strategic communications, did that for about nine years and then made the transition over to nonprofit work doing, um, development. So fundraising and messaging first for a domestic violence shelter and then for new friends new life until um my recent move to ceo it's been quite a journey because it is pretty recent thank you you. just walked me around the space here at y'all's building in in dallas and it is amazing kind of explain it what is the mission of new friends new life what are y'all doing here how is the space used what what's y'all's mission Sure. So New Friends Do Life works to restore and empower women and girls who have been trafficked or exploited. We have been around for about 22 years here in Dallas. We started when um, an exotic dancer at the time walked into the basement of Preston Road Church of Christ and just said, I need help. And this was a time where no one had really coined that phrase of human trafficking. It was still very new to the vernacular of society, but what those women at the church knew was that someone needed help. And so they started providing financial support, emotional support, got her connected um, with just rebuilding her life. And she kept bringing her friends out of the life, out of that industry. And here we are now, here we are now, 22 years later, serving about 330 women and girls in 2020, um, on target for more than that in 2021, and really helping to recreate, helping these women and teen girls redesign and recreate the lives that they really deserve. I, mm-hmm. I love that it started with the church, mm-hmm. walking in a church. So can you talk about the importance of the church partnership? Because I feel like there might be someone listening mm-hmm. that is working at a church. Mm-hmm. And this happens to them, but they don't have a specific ministry pointed toward that. Mm-hmm. or They don't have a community partner. What's the importance of it, of the church partnership with what you're doing? I think it'll always be our foundation. And when you talk to the women who have gone through our program, I think many of them have leaned on their faith to get through this. Uh, When you think of the judgment that they've faced, um, the abuse, the criticism, um, the the hopelessness that has developed, I think that their faith will always be an important an important part of of that it anchors them, uh, many of our women, and so our fa- our church partnership is the foundation of of who we are. And as the pandemic has started, that was one of the areas that we saw. Um, a change in the level of support because churches were always able to support us and give to us. But the pandemic really churches shifted to serving their own congregations. They had to become social service organizations for their own congregants. And so we're just looking forward to the day where as churches reopen and people are stabilizing that we can regain um, some of those partnerships. We love our church and faith community. Mm -hmm. You have such a wonderful mission. I love the idea of restore and empower the ability to redesign their life. So when Mm -hmm. a woman walks in here, Mm -hmm. someone walks in here, Mm -hmm. what is the process of redesigning their life to where they're fully, they're back and their life has been transformed by this place? What's that process? Yes, it is a beautiful journey. It is individualized. It's different based on where each woman is. But I will tell you that... um, Typically, a typical member to New Friends Through Life, she's about 32 years of age, um, and this trafficking experience or this exploitation that she's experienced is a part of her 
past, but she's coming in with emotional, um, complex trauma. She um, has oftentimes a limited education, a spotty work history. She may have multiple children. 65% of the time she has a criminal record. So this is the state that she is coming to us in. And so our program, our women's program is designed to address these three main areas. The first being her case management needs. What are her immediate needs? Where are you staying do you have food? Because we can counsel her as much as we want to, but if she doesn't know where she's going to sleep tonight or what she's going to eat, she's not going to be able to participate in that process. So we start with case management and immediate needs. And then we look at, uh, through the lens of trauma-informed counseling and therapy, how do we help you process what you've been through and get you to a healthy emotional state? And then the third piece is, now how do we reintroduce you to the society? to the working world. So we work through an economic empowerment program with her to get her stabilized financially, um, get her career back on track. And the the way that the women gravitate and work through the process is so transformative. We have a woman in the middle of the pandemic, she wrote a book that's available on Amazon. Um, It's called 31 Years in the Desert, and it's about her journey. Um, And so to see that level of productivity, that women are coming out of this program and they are achieving career goals that any other woman has. And I think that's the biggest message. She is so much more like us than different from us. Every dream that I've had for myself, she's had for herself. Every dream that your aunt, sister, mom, any woman in your life, whatever she wanted for her life, our women wanted the same thing. And so they're writing books and another lady is a seamstress. Someone else is working in healthcare. Others are in retail or the restaurant industry. They're really pursuing everyday goals. They just had this situation, um, circumstance come up um, to impede them. But we help them through those roadblocks and just set them back on their journey. And it's beautiful to see. I love how the process immediately reflects the mission that you have you mm-hmm. to restore and empower. Mm-hmm. And you start by restoring the immediate needs, mm-hmm. but it goes much further than that. And I think right. that's the true essence of what a nonprofit should be. Mm-hmm. What we talked about before is it's not just, just giving the immediate needs, which might be necessary at the time, mm-hmm. but it's really setting them up for success once they leave your doors. Do you have any just thoughts on that, what the nonprofits could do better in that sphere mm-hmm. or, or just how that process works? I think, um, What we found to be most effective is engagement and buy-in on her part, on the part of the people you're serving, that it's not just um, an endless handout or you're just... As a donor, you're not just funding, throwing your resources into a black hole that never gets better. You know, you have to see progress. You have to see growth. And that's why this graduation experience is so profound. She really is leaving this part of her life. She's graduating to another part of her life. But I think the most effective nonprofits are agencies where you can track um, the growth and the transformation and that it's building upon to something else and that she can then sustain herself or he can then sustain himself depending on the service that you're offering because if not it just becomes a revolving door and you're not addressing the issue so you know sex trafficking is a huge problem around the globe and in our community right in our backyard but we know that we've ended it for her 
we know that we've ended it for the teen girl that comes through the door or the woman that walks through her door. So it's person by person, one woman at a time. We are putting an end to it in her life. And that's the true test of a nonprofit. Have you solved, helped solve the problem for the people that you're serving? Right. And you, you mentioned that it's, it's a global problem, but it's mm-hmm. also happening right behind mm-hmm. the back door. And I want to mm-hmm. read this. Mm-hmm. I found on y'all's website. It says Texas ranks second in the country for trafficking prevalence mm-hmm. with more than 300,000 annual victims statewide and in Dallas. An estimated 400 teens are sold for sex every night as part of a ninety nine million dollar illegal industry. Mm-hmm. That's mind blowing. $99 million yes. in Texas, yes. which is second in the country. Yes, yes. I don't think people understand that it's happening in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What, what what do we do as Texas residents, as Dallas, in the Dallas community to fix this mm-hmm. problem? Yes, it's, it's alarming. And I think the first thing that's required for us to end it is understanding what it looks like here, right? Because when you think of human trafficking, when you think of sex trafficking, you may think of a movie, you think, you know, like the movie Taken, for example, or you think of what's happening overseas and you're like, oh, those people in that country that's dealing with this kidnapping and the violence, it's terrible and it's over there. And that is very true. But in the United States, Sex trafficking and human trafficking looks very different. It tends to be more subtle. It tends she tends to be trafficked by someone she knows and loves. She can be functioning, so she's going to school every day or she's hanging out every day, but she's still trapped in this industry. So the first, uh, the one of the most important things is we're going to have to know what it looks like yeah. and to know that if you're just looking for someone in a white van in a parking lot, you have missed it. It's happening um, right under our noses and right in our own backyard. And the second thing is understanding that sex trafficking does not happen in a silo and that it's normally connected to so many other societal ills. And I liken it to the Jenga game, you know, the Jenga game with all the different laws. And so you're trying to pull out one thing, right? So say we're just trying to pull out the one issue of sex trafficking, what's happening, everything else around it is being affected. So if you're going to look at addressing sex trafficking, you have to look at poverty, homelessness, domestic violence, childhood sexual abuse. We're all serving the same woman. She's just on a different place in this spectrum of violence against women and girls. So as a citizen, as a corporation, sometimes it's easier to make those connections than to think of, oh, are we helping someone who's like selling herself on the street? That can be a leap for people. But when you look at Um, a woman who doesn't have financial resources, who's living in poverty, who's been um, abused physically or emotionally, that's a problem. Those problems are problems that every citizen's like, no, that's not okay. No child should live in poverty. Everyone deserves education. Well, you know what? This is our woman too. She just also happens to be trapped in a cycle of being trafficked. So it's helping to normalize who she is, helping people to see that it doesn't happen in a silo and that if you're looking for this outright violent kidnapping, you've missed it. You have to look for other signs. What makes a a teen girl vulnerable? The average age that a girl is trafficked here in the United States, um, when several studies say that it's 15 years old. And so what makes a 15 year old vulnerable to being trafficking? It's things like she wants to feel accepted and loved. Um, She wants to wear the clothing that her girlfriends have at school, but they can't afford it. Um, 
She wants a sense of adventure. She wants protection. All the things that any 15-year-old would want, she wants. And the trafficker is a master manipulator, and that's what he's going to show up to provide. So he's not going to throw her in the back of a van in most cases. He is going to say, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, and know your parents don't understand you. And yeah, I can take care of you. And let's just go to a photo shoot. And, you know, it's very subtle. And a 15-year-old brain, her brain isn't even developed enough to be able to understand um, what's happening. And before you know it, she's trapped. She, She really is trapped in a cycle. And so it's the understanding of how it happens here um, that's going to lead us as citizens and corporations to get involved. And it's also very hopeful because it can be preventative in many ways. We can do something about it. We're just not, we don't have to be victim to what's to come. We can intervene, intercept, and um, help end this issue. Yeah, and I do think it's very important to understand how it happens. So you kind of mm-hmm. walked through it, the, the mm-hmm. slow steps. So most of the, the women, you said average age is about 31 or 32 mm-hmm. uh, for the older women. Mm-hmm. Does it start almost every time at 15 and go kind of through that grooming process of phys- the immediate needs? And then it's kind of just a cycle that they just can't get out. Mm-hmm. What is the story of a typical woman? Yes, and it's varied, um, but most of it, most of the women that we see at Duke Friends Through Life, when we go through their um, history and their therapy and their counseling, there are other histories that are connected to it. So there is the childhood abuse. um, There is poverty in the home. So they were really looking for financial support. And if someone says, I can help you pay your mom's rent, there's a 14 year old girl who, who was going to be thinking, what can I do if I can help if I can help keep our lights on? What does that entail? So there tends to be something in her past if she's a multiple runaway. So maybe she's run away from something that's happening in her home. Then she's approached by someone who notices that she's out of place. Like it's two o'clock. She should be in school. But here she is at this restaurant on I-20 again, or, you know, here she is in the mall. And so he finds her when she's not where she should be. And he knows that he can approach her and that she's vulnerable. And so there tends to be some type of vulnerability, not in every case, but in many cases. Um, And then along with that, we see a lot of substance abuse. So about 70%, 65 to 70% of our women, when they come in, there is, they're on they're experiencing some types of substance abuse and addiction. Um, and so those are just some of the things that they are battling. It just, it's very rare that someone has had a perfect childhood and then this happens. There tends to be an open door of vulnerability that is then exploited and then she's trapped in this cycle. So how do we protect that vulnerability Mm -hmm. and kind of get in front, be proactive about the Mm -hmm. issue rather than, I mean, what is happening here is unbelievable work. Mm -hmm. What can we do to stop it before she falls into that trap by, because it's, it's emotional and Mm -hmm. it's it's going, it's going for those needs and saying that you can help provide Mm -hmm. for your family, you're helping, but how do we be proactive and get in front of it? Is there any way we can stop it from happening at the beginning? I think it's, it's definitely a multiple (laughs) pronged approach. Yes. Yeah, it's definitely that. But if we are looking at things like um, um, the poverty line, like, are people able to make 
a living wage and what are the requirements there? Looking at the pipeline to prisons, you know, like how um, vulnerable are, are especially women and girls of color are disproportionately affected by trafficking. Um, and so looking at um, the pipelines to prison or to the juvenile justice system for these young girls. Um, what does poverty look like? Um, are they coming from backgrounds where there's hunger? So childhood hunger, domestic violence, and all the the things that come with that. If we're addressing these other major issues, then that reduces the vulnerability. And one thing I love about the Dallas community, one of the many things I love about Dallas is this is a city that is just like, we will face anything head on. It's not like this everywhere. The philanthropic um, spirit of Dallas is unmatched and it has not only the spirit and the heart, but then the resources. So that combination of people who can do things about it. There are so many headquarters that are here, corporate headquarters, successful business folks, um, legacy, like generations of wealth and legacy live in this community. And those are the people that look at issues and say, we're going to fix this. What do we need to fix this? So we, even though we are high in number, for example, with us being number two in the country for human trafficking, we're also doing something about it. Um, there's a legislature that's being looked at, that's really paying attention to the issue. So I'm proud of the effort that we're making. So that's one side of it. It's looking at all these other societal ills. But another thing that we are doing at New Friends New Life is really finding a way to engage our men in being a part of the solution. Because if most of the traffickers um, are male, you know, they've made the business decision to provide the supply for this huge demand. And if most of the buyers are the everyday guy who's buying someone, you know, the studies show that the average buyer is a 45-year-old man, 66% of the time he's married, he has disposable income. Like, that's everybody. Right. <laughs> Those are our men. It could be anyone. It could be, yeah. anyone. It could be the pastor, the doctor, yeah. the, your dentist, you know, the attorney. Um, so engaging men and being a part of the solution, I think is a huge, huge, it's, it's important to shift the conversation so that we get away from this boys will be boys. And doesn't every guy do this? Doesn't every guy do that? It's like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And so our men's advocacy group is made up of committed men, clergymen, businessmen, athletes, everyday guys who say, I'm not only not going to buy a person, but I'm going to raise that bar. And we're going to teach our young boys to have different conversations of respect, um, healthy relationships, and understanding the impact of your behavior. Because we really believe that if a man knew that if he answered an online ad or he called for a service, if he really knew that, hey, she might be underage, she's probably being abused, she is addicted to drugs, she does not want this for her life. If he really knew that, we have hope that he would make a different choice. But what's happened is there's been this desensitization or this objectification. It's just like, oh, she wants it and she's an adult and this is what we're going to do. And so working with our men to let them see our women for who they are, um, it's going to be huge on the front end yeah. of this because this is really all about supply and demand. And if we can end the demand, then 
these traffickers go out of business. They won't be able to profit $99 million a year if men are making different choices. So you mentioned the men's advocacy group. Mm -hmm. How do people get involved? Can anyone hop in that? Can anyone learn? How do people get involved? Yes. So um, our MAG group is accessible to any gentleman who wants to be a part of it. There is an annual membership fee. We also do a background check, which is very important um, that we have our good guys at the table. And then we provide networking opportunities. They're able to volunteer, um, able to fundraise on behalf of the organization. One of the sweetest things that our men do around Valentine's Day, they work with our program staff to bring flowers and candy um, to our women. Every year there are tears because our women are not used to getting something, a compliment for nothing. It's always, what do I owe you? You can't just mean it. What do I have to, what do I owe you for this? And so to have gentle men just come in and say, you know, you're beautiful. Happy Valentine's Day to you. It is so empowering. They also help us with mock interviews. So as our women are preparing to go into the working world, a lot of times you're going to be you know, interviewed by men. And how do you prepare to tell your story, to feel confident in your own skin and, and share with a potential employer? So the ability for our men to give back in a way, because I think a lot of men feel like, well, oh my gosh, if we're the buyers and we're the sellers, (laughs) like what can we really do? That as a man, we, we need you. We need you at the table and you can, you can help us uh, make a difference. So we love our men's advocacy group. And then to have our to teach them to go into high schools and talk to the football team or the basketball team where there are young boys of influence and to have that locker room talk because people expect us as women to be like shouting from the mountaintop in support of other women. But when a man comes to the table and says, this is my take on this, Um, this is what you don't deserve, this is what you do deserve, that just, it speaks volumes on our behalf, so... And I, I love the, mm-hmm. the Jenga metaphor mm-hmm. and thinking about that. So we've talked about what men can do, how mm-hmm. we can train young boys. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about kind of corporations, companies here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. What can they do to do their part? Because I love the point you made mm-hmm. that not every company's job, that you can't expect a, a company that's headquartered here to go in and find these women mm-hmm. and do what you're doing. Right. But they can do something and do their part yes. to fix the issue. So what can companies, businesses, business leaders in Dallas do to do their part to help you guys to come alongside you and maybe something that's not, I mean, walking along, not doing the advocacy group, Right. what can they do? Yeah. And that's such a great point. Um, and I think partnering with agencies like New Friends New Life is one of the best steps that a corporation can take on a very macro and micro level. Yeah. Um, we have what's called um, the No Harm Network that we have generated at New Friends New Life, which is laying out a blueprint for how companies can stay in their lane, but still provide support. Right. And it includes things like Um, in-kind donations. So if you're doing a donation drive at your office, that matters. We serve 330 women and girls around the wintertime. We need coats. We need socks. You know, we need um, 
interview clothing, you know, business attire. And so as an employee, as a corporation, you can donate those things. It's not a financial drain on the employees. They can still make a difference. So in-kind donations, financial support of our special events, we have a $2.7 million budget. All of our services are provided at no cost to the member, but it is a cost to the agency. So as a corporation, you can sponsor be a part of our men's breakfast or our luncheon or our conference on um, human trafficking and exploitation. So financial support, in-kind support, and then also inviting us to speak to your leadership team, to your frontline workers. For example, we have a fantastic partnership with um, American Airlines. We have a great corporate partnership with G6 Hospitality, which runs all of the Motel 6s. For us to be in the space of industries where trafficking, there is a connection, you know, it happens in hotel rooms. It happens um, with the airline transportation. So for us to connect with those corporations, we go in and do trainings, um, what to look for. This is what it looks like in in our city. Just raising that level of awareness so that everyone serves as the eyes and ears of potential victims in our community. Yeah, awareness, that's such a Mm -hmm. good word. Mm -hmm. Once you are aware, once you're educated on these issues, Mm -hmm. you're able to go out and help. And we've talked about men, we've talked about corporations. Mm -hmm. What can churches do? How can churches, maybe even Christian higher education, how can DBQ, how how can they partner with you? Yes, well, definitely, as I mentioned, the faith community is always the foundation of who we are. And so similar things, the in-kind support. I know donation drives are huge. Um, p- words of affirmation and prayer. We have a, um, a give one, take one box at the office where you can send in notes. You can send them electronically. You can send them by mail just to just encourage our women. And before we hold our classes, we offer 20 to 25 classes every week on everything from healthy parenting to, you know, cooking on a budget to how do you financially budget. But a woman can read a card of someone who she does not know who says you're beautiful, strong, made for this. You're loved. You can get through it. And so words of affirmation, um, we would receive those um, in kind support um, and any opportunity for us to once again speak at a Sunday school group, a women's group, a men's night for us to just share those messages of restoration and hope for our women. Speaking of mm-hmm. messages and stories of restoration, mm-hmm. this is kind of a curveball. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite success story? You see somebody walk through and you're just like, that, there was something about that story oh, that was my just so special. Goodness. You might have a couple. Yes. Or I'm sure you have a couple. Yes. There, to yes, there are several that come to mind. Um, one of the one of our teen girls, she is she's tremendous. So she had all of the markers and vulnerabilities that I mentioned. I mean, she had run away multiple times. She was living with her grandmother in and out of the juvenile justice system, fought every day in school, kicked out of everywhere, had experienced childhood sexual abuse. You name it, she went through it. She was a prime target. Um, She started coming to our program. She was with us for about two years. And in the middle of the pandemic, she graduated that May as valedictorian 
of her high school class. She enrolled at um, Texas State University. Um, She is studying. She wants to be an attorney. And just to see how she has totally, totally turned her life around, still calls in, checks in with us. And so we love stories like that. She's just a a shining example of the intercept, the interception that can happen. Um, And how she was never even. She was never showing the signs. Yes. 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 So to see her persevere, I think um, that's a huge one. And then the other one on the adult side is the lady who wrote the book. I I mean, yes, to see someone come through that journey. it's it's so profound. We were so proud of when the shutdown happened. Our biggest fear was that we would lose our women because we understood the power of community and presence. And now you're behind a computer screen and you're asking them to log on and you're having all these expectations. Like, do you have a laptop or can you do it on your phone? But our women stayed plugged in. We created a private member portal. We had a brag board where they would celebrate each other. Um, but they would also go through their visual classes. A lot of people were asking, well, what can I do? That's the other thing. Whatever skill or talent you have, record it. If you do meditation um, workouts, if you teach art class, put it on video and send it in. Our women were were watching it. So to see that level of engagement um, is a huge success story. And then the last thing I'll share about that is we have women who are survivor leaders on our team. So they work for New Friends New Life, but they also went through our program. And there is nothing more impactful than someone who can say, that literally was me. I was the one that had the criminal record that got pardoned by the governor of Texas, or I was the one who um, was um, sent to a rehab facility in some small Texas town and then heard about New Friends New Life, came here, went through the program, and now she's getting her bachelor's degree and she's serving as a survivor leader. So that full circle and moment um, has been, is really beautiful to see. And it's gotta be so rewarding mm-hmm. for someone who works here. I yes. can only imagine. Yes. How can people connect with you, whether social media, websites, gonna just lay out how people can get involved. Yes, so newfriendsnewlife.org is our website, and then we are on every platform. So we are on Twitter, New Friends New, no, it's NFNL News. Yes, because, you know, the Twitter name is shorter. So we're on Twitter as NFNL News, but you can also find us on Facebook as New Friends New Life, LinkedIn as New Friends New Life, and Instagram. So I would say social media is one of the easiest ways to stay in contact with us or visiting our website. What about mm-hmm. sending in one of those notes? How do people do that? Yes. Can you do it through the website? Yes. On the website, um, if you go to our COVID-19 response, which is in the newsroom of the website, you can send the the notes, the notes of encouragement. Uh, we have an amazing volunteer. He's an older gentleman. He's been with us for many years. We started in March 20. March of 2020, we sent out that initial email said, if you want to send notes of encouragement, send them here. Let me tell you, every Monday since March of 2020, he has been sending email notes in to the point where we now send them around to the staff. Like they do get to our members, but it also encourages us. And it's like, keep going, 
you're beautiful, you're made for this. And it's the little things, but it's been a year and a half. Every Monday morning, we still get a note of encouragement for our women from him. I love that idea. I hope people can can connect that way. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you one more question. Mm -hmm. We love asking all of our leaders. It's just what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Looking back on your career, on your life, what you've done so far. What would you tell your 20-year-old? Oh, my goodness. Well, (laughs) I think the most cliche thing is like time flies. That is so true. (laughs) You blink and you're 50, right? Um, But I would say um, to my 20-year-old self that everything is preparing you for the next thing. When I look back at where I was when I was 20, I was at Temple University in Philadelphia, um, close to graduating. But I was also taking 21 credits. I was working part-time, and I had a part-time internship. And I had to take 21 credits because I couldn't afford another semester. I'm like, if I don't finish this, it's it's not going to happen. And to me, it was, I had every minute of my day scheduled. I was overwhelmed, overworked, not knowing what was next. I'm like, and then when I graduate, and then what? Everything was like a faith walk. Like, what's next? How am I going to do this? And now when I look back at that, I'm like, everything was preparing me for the next thing. So that's what I would say. It's just like, no matter how difficult it is, you're going to be so much prepared, so much more prepared for the next thing. And that you can look for patterns of goodness. I heard a pastor talking about this the other day, and he said, Um, That God is always looking to create cycles and patterns of goodness in your life. And so I would say be on the lookout for that, that in the difficult times, if you look back, there is a pattern of goodness. You've made it through that. You've made it through this. You can make it through the next thing. So just Mm -hmm. remembering that everything Mm -hmm. that you're going through, no matter how hard or difficult or you're wondering what you can learn from it, that Mm -hmm. the Lord is working through it and Mm -hmm. it is preparing you for something that he has for you Mm -hmm. and to look for those patterns of goodness. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us. And I hope everyone listening will get involved with new friends and new life and that we can just, we can stop this problem at the, at the root, but as it's still out there that we can help women that are going through it. Thank you so much. for your time. Thank you. It was great to be with you. 